Morning, everybody. It's great to be here today, and thanks for being with us on this very special day as we, as we kick off this brand new series. And uh, I'm going to dive straight in, because this morning we're going to be looking at four incredible and surprising reality checks when it comes to our relationships, all of our relationships, but particularly our romantic relationships, that if we embrace these things, it might just about cause a revolution in uh, and how we do our relationships. Now, that may seem like a very bold claim to make, uh, but I'll get to that in a moment. For now, just watch this video on the screens. Hey, did you say you were going to make dinner? I can remember. <sighs> what? I just wish you'd take some initiative and cook your own dinner for once. I've been at work too, you know, and what, now I get to come home and pack the dishwasher and then unpack the dishwasher and cook dinner and put the washing on and you know what, I can't continue to live like this because hey, it's hey, not for hey, me. Hey, hey, relax. It's going to be alright. How? Here, I'll just show you. Okay, I've been doing this since we moved in. See this basket thing? I don't know how it happens, if it's the house or what. But any dirty clothes you put in this basket, somehow, the next day, they're just clean, folded, and in a perfect pile on your bed. You're not serious. I couldn't believe it at first either. But it just keeps happening. That's why I didn't tell you. I didn't want to jinx it. You are insane. Try it. You'll see. Unless it's only chosen me. See, I don't know. I can't do this. No, wait. There's other things too. Plates, cutlery, pizza boxes, dirty tissues, anything you leave on this coffee table just vanishes overnight. I mean, sometimes I'll see how far I can push this thing and I'll just leave shit everywhere. Mm. And then sure enough, the next day, it's all gone. It's just vanished. It's magic. No, she wouldn't have left me. This is what I think happened. I heard her get up in the middle of the night to get a drink or something. She must have fallen onto the magic coffee table and just vanished. Are you insane? No, he's not insane. I've got the same coffee table at home. There you go. <laughs> so relationships are tricky, let's face it. Uh, whether in our public and private worlds, we face challenges in our relationships. We have relationship struggles, relationship pain, relationship disappointment, relationship frustrations, and, and sadness even, maybe for some of us here this morning, the pain of relationship death, when a relationship dies or when we lose a loved one. Whether we like it or not, everyone in this room knows that at some point or another, we are categorized or identified by our relationship status. We've all had to tick a box on a screen or on a form that says we're single or cohabiting or engaged or married or divorced or widowed. And when we tick that box, for some of us, it's a moment of joy and celebration. And for others of us, when we tick that box, it can be a moment of great shame and pain. And I'm really aware of the challenge as we go on this series that some of us might risk dialing out because we'll think, well, this series is not for us. But I really want to encourage you, whatever your relationship status is, don't dial out. Don't dial out. 
Because I actually believe that this next six weeks, we're going to look at some things that are pertinent and challenging and encouraging and healing for every single one of us, whatever our relationship status. I'm expecting God to surprise us. And maybe you think, well, I don't need this now, although I I believe that everything we're going to teach is good for us now, but maybe it will be for your future. There's just going to be some good stuff for us to grab a hold of because the Bible has a huge amount of stuff to say about how to do relationships really well. And it's massively countercultural because the 21st century kind of consumer God tells us that ultimately, consciously or subconsciously, that all of our relationships are about our own self-fulfillment. It's about us. We're in it, whether we realize it or not sometimes, for what we can get out of it. And so it's no surprise that that when things become very difficult in relationships, that people bail. If things are broken, just like if your fridge is broken, you might try and get it fixed, but it's just easier to get a new one. And people can treat their relationships in just the same way. If this feels like it's broken, then I need to leave it behind and just get another one. Now, of course, there are some circumstances when it may be irretrievably broken, and we'll think about that as we journey ahead and battle with the challenge that some, for some of us, there has not been a fairy tale ending. And, and so in this series, we're going to look at a brand new way of looking at our relationships. And today, I'm going to share with you, as I mentioned at the start, four reality checks for relationships. And let me just say this, Um, some of these things are definitely going to provoke us that I'm going to say. You you need to hear all four reality checks before you get up and walk out, because some of them are going to seem a bit negative or a bit pessimistic and stuff, but just listen to me, I'm not a heretic, I'm not going mad, and then I'll expand what I mean, because I actually think if we would embrace these four reality checks, then they will become liberating truths for us and just take a bit of pressure off in terms of the way we do and think about relationships. So I'm going to start. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Genesis chapter 29. If you don't, it's going to be on the screens. Genesis 29, and we're going to start here. This is a story about a man who fell for a woman and he was looking forward to getting married for her and it went a bit wrong. So, Genesis 29, verse 16 to 25. This is the New Living Translation. Here we go. It says, Now Laban had two daughters. The older daughter was named Leah, and the younger one was Rachel. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, Laban replied. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed like just a few days. That is going to make you vomit right there, let's face it. Verse 21. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and they prepared a wedding feast. But that night, while it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. When Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me, Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? 
poor, poor Jacob has been well and truly stitched up. He has ended up marrying the wrong woman. Maybe he had a little bit too much to drink the night before. Maybe it was really, really, really dark. But this is not a good thing for him. If you go on to read the rest of the story in Genesis 29, you'll discover that he does eventually get with Rachel. But we'll come to that in a moment. But this brings us to my first reality check that will shock some of you. But bear with me. Nudge the person next to you and say, bear with him. And here's my first reality check. You didn't sound very convinced there. We always marry the wrong person and usually for the wrong reason. Reality check number one, we always marry the wrong person and usually for the wrong reason. You're thinking, what are you talking about? Bear with me. We always marry the wrong person because the right and perfect person simply does not exist. And we often marry for the wrong reasons for our own self-fulfillment about what we can receive. Every single one of us, we are all broken, we are all fragile, we're all messed up in different ways, and we might be able to hide that from our partner for a little while, but eventually they get to see us warts and all. This is confession time. Years and years ago, I confess, I, when it first came out, I started to watch the program Big Brother. Remember Big Brother? Any, any, anyone ever watch Big Brother? Come on, be with me. Okay, lots of you will do some prayer ministry afterwards, okay? And so like the, the opening night of Big Brother was always fascinating, wasn't it? Because like, everyone goes into the house and everyone's trying to be on their best behavior in those first few days. Sometimes hours, sometimes even people manage to pull it off for a week. And everyone thinks they're great. And then eventually the mask falls and their brokenness flows out and it just can't be hid. Although, let's be honest, for some people, within 15 minutes of walking into the house, you kind of realize like, wow, you have issues. And so, as it's true for Big Brother, so it's true for our lives. One of the biggest shocks in marriage and in relationships is we realize that actually this is a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. And then you get to the second shock when you realize you figured out why it's so hard. And the reason it's so hard is because clearly there is something wrong with your partner. That's the problem. Like, why are they so moody? Why are they so clingy? Why are they so defensive? Why are they so critical? Why can't they say how they're feeling? Why do they talk so much? Where does that anger from come from? What about that jealousy? And of course, the biggest relationship question that has plagued people for hundreds of years. Why, oh why, can he not put the toilet seat down? All of these questions, they make us wonder, have I married the right person? Who did I marry? Why did I marry them? Marriage is hard and you've worked out the problem and the problem is your partner. And guess what, friends? They've come to the same conclusion. Marriage is hard and you are the problem. Like if you could just sort your life out, then everything would be better. And the reality is this morning that you're both right. You're both right. This is the liberating truth. Marriage and relationships are hard and we are all part of the problem because none of us are perfect. We bring our brokenness into these relationships. And it is liberating because it reminds us that the grass is not greener on the other side. It still needs weeding. The grass needs mowing. And every single relationship has to be worked on if it's going to thrive. Marriage is hard. Relationships are hard. And we are all part of the problem because we are all broken in different ways. Author Stanley Howes, he puts it this way. We never know who we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while 
and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means that we're not the same person after we've entered it. Here's a profound thing, he says. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Who is this person? Reality check number one. However great our relationship is, we never marry the right person in the sense that no one is perfectly Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. And if we're not careful, subconsciously even, we can marry for the wrong reason because we marry for what we can get out of it, what it will do to bring us happiness. Which brings me to my second slightly challenging reality check, and that's this. Reality check number two, you are not enough for your partner and your partner will never be enough for you. You are not enough for your partner, and your partner will never be enough for you. Now, that sounds depressing again, but it's a liberating truth. This is actually good news, because some of us, again, we, we, we are so concerned about our relationships because we're living under the illusion that our partner should be the one to fulfill all of our needs, and that we should be the one to fulfill all the needs of our partner. But we're setting ourselves up for frustration and pain if we embrace that illusion. Every single person on planet Earth lives with three core needs. Every single person, every country. First of all, self-worth. We, we all want to know that we are loved and lovable. Secondly, significance. We want to know that our life has purpose, that it counts, that we are here for a reason. And thirdly, security. We want to know that whatever goes on in our life, the storms that we face, that ultimately we'll be okay and we'll get through. Of course, there are other needs and things that we have, but those are the fundamental needs that are wired in our humanity. And of course, our our partner, our relationships play a massive part in the fulfillment of those things. But it is impossible for anyone, including our partners, to perfectly fulfill all of those needs for the reasons that I've just given in Reality Check 1. If people are broken, they will let you down. They will let you down. We all have the capacity to be good and kind and loving and all of those things, and we all have the capacity to let each other down. John and Stacey Eldridge in their book, Love and War, say this, the good news is, of course, you aren't enough. You never, ever will be. This should come as a tremendous relief, actually. Your spouse's unhappiness doesn't mean that you're an F as a person, as a spouse. Your spouse's unhappiness and yours means you both have a famished craving within you that only God can meet. That only God can meet. And actually, if you, if you look back later at the story of Leah and Rachel and Jacob, what you find in that story is for some years, Leah is working so hard to try to make Jacob happy because she thinks, if he's happy, then I'll be happy. And she's prioritizing him. If I just make him happy, then he'll fulfill something in me and I'll fulfill something in him. And if you look at the story, she gets to a place after years when she realized, I'm never going to satisfy him. He's never going to fully satisfy me what I need is God. I need God. Which brings me to my third reality check. Reality check three is only God can truly fulfill and satisfy us. I don't know if anyone here has ever put the wrong petrol 
in your car. Has anyone, has everyone ever done that? Yes, yes. I, I remember some years ago uh, on an early morning start, uh, I started to put unleaded into my diesel. And, and I did realize quite quickly, I put about three pounds in, and I suddenly thought, you know, that just like, oh no, this is bad. And so I stopped and I went into the garage and I said to the guy, look, I've just put literally about three pounds in, what should I do? And he said, well, you'll probably be okay. He said, if you just put diesel in now and just kind of fill it up, you'll probably be all right, but it's kind of on you. So, uh, so I did, I did that, I, I filled the rest of the thing up, I prayed, I crossed everything that I could cross, and uh, miraculously, actually, it was okay, although the car was clearly upset for the next four or five days, it coughed and spluttered a bit. But I know people who have literally done the whole thing, filled up, surely no one in this room. <laughs> Denise has done it. And it's very expensive. It can be very, very expensive. Your car is meant to run on the right petrol, and your life is meant to run on God. We can only fully thrive if we have God in our lives. You and I were lovingly and intentionally created to know God, to love God, and for his love and power to be at work in us to help us become the people that we were created to be for our good, and for the good of all of our relationships, and actually for the good of the whole of creation. Like we were created to have God at the center and that we thrive in him. And so trying to do your life and trying to do your relationships without God at the center of your life, the center of hope, the center of peace, the center of life and love, the center of strength and comfort, trying to run your life without God at the center is like trying to run your car on the wrong Petrol, it's just going to ultimately be disastrous. And that's why Paul writes these words in Acts 17. He says, He is the God who made the world and everything in it. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Paul writes, for in him we live and move and exist. We cannot take breath without him. He is a very central person in our lives. The psalmist writes, my soul finds rest in God alone. Only Our soul will only truly and completely find rest in God. When God is at the center of all things, only God is the true source of life and peace. No one else is perfect enough. Only he is the one who first and foremost can satisfy us and fulfill us. And so if we look to our partner to to do what God is supposed to do in being perfectly loving and everything for us, then we are demanding an impossibility from our partner that they were never, ever being able to do. And, And why is that true? Why should God be the center? Because God does perfectly love us. God is perfectly for us. He doesn't have any mixed motives. Everything he feels towards us, everything he says over us, everything he's committed to do and be for us is completely for us to flourish and do well because he loves us and cares for us unconditionally, relentlessly in a way that is unfathomable. And when we receive that love and when we operate in that love, not only is it good for us because we become free, but actually it starts to become good for our relationships because he shows us how to love. It's what Paul talks about in Ephesians 5.2. This is the message version. He says, watch what God does. 
and then you do it. What God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that, Paul says. God's love is extravagant, it's extraordinary, and it's ultimately received and demonstrated in the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the good news of the big story of the Bible, the good news of Jesus is, is simply this, that we are more broken and selfish and flawed than we ever dare believe, and yet at the same time we are more loved and accepted by God than we ever dreamed was possible. And that love is demonstrated and proven in the way that Jesus broke into human history and God became a man and a man who ultimately, though he had done nothing wrong, is agonizingly tortured and put to death on the cross, consuming consuming all the darkness and death and and suffering and the struggle and the selfishness and sinfulness of our lives, the brokenness of our lives upon himself and burying it with his broken dead body in a tomb to, to prove that he was God and he was all the things he promised. Three days later, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And the God who rose from the dead, defeating the biggest enemy of us all, which is death itself, has the power and the love and the commitment to take on any challenges we face in life. That's the truth. That's the reality. Amen. And God calls us and he invites us to love in this radical, radical way. I, I, I want to say this to you. Like if you are a follower of Jesus here, then, then the first thing and the best thing you can ever do, your number one priority is to commit to follow Jesus, to commit to grow and know Jesus more and become more like Jesus. Because the more like Jesus you'll become, the more you'll be loving and joyful and a person of peace and gentleness and kindness and self-control and faithfulness, all of the character of Jesus will flow through you. And Jesus doesn't have an anger issue. He's not jealous. He's not kind of crippled by comparison. All of those brokennesses on us that we experience, the more like Jesus we become, the less we become like that. And the more we become like the people we were created to be, if every day I can become more like Christ, it's good for me and it's good for all of my relationships and first and foremost with my partner. Is anyone hearing me today? And that brings me to my final reality check, which is this. Reality check number four. With God, we can embrace the relationship's true purpose. When God is at the center, we can finally understand what all of these relationships are about. Because maybe you're thinking now, well, hold on a second. Like, all this relationship stuff sounds pretty tricky. So why would I put myself into a position? Maybe I'll just have God and God's enough for me. But actually, we're told this mysterious story in the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2, God intentionally and lovingly creates the world. And then the pinnacle of his creation is humankind. And he starts with Adam. And in Adam, we see the very first thing in the Bible that is not good. In Genesis 2.18, we're told that it's not good that Adam is by himself. It's not good for the man to be alone, the scripture says. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. The first not good is that Adam is alone. 
And of course, he's got this amazing relationship with God, but God recognizes he needs not just me, but he needs someone who's the same but different to him to also journey with him in reality. And this, this word for helper here is, is a Hebrew word. It means um, called Isaiah. And, and it literally means someone who comes alongside you to, to help you, to comfort you, to strengthen you, to, to cheer you on, to challenge you, to stretch you, to help you become your best self. Eve was to be that for Adam, Adam was to be that for Eve and actually through the whole of the Old Testament this word is used to describe how God is with us more than anyone else. Eve is to be that for Adam, Adam is to be that for Eve and God is committed to be that for both of them. And, and so when we commit to be a helper and a helpmate and a supporter and a cheerleader for our partner, we are joining in with what God is doing as he commits to see them become the best self they were created to be. The goal of relationships is not to get what you want. The goal of my relationships and your relationships is to help the other person become the person that God created them to be. More healed and more whole. And, and so when someone lets you down, when people behave badly, when people don't do what you want, you, you respond like God because you're becoming more like Jesus. And so you respond with love and kindness and faithfulness and forgiveness. But when people do behave badly, actually you, you don't become a doormat and just ignore it. No, because you want them to thrive. Your motive is love. And so you do challenge when our partners say or do things that are, are hurtful. We do that because we, we're not trying to get at them. We're not trying to bring them down, but we want them to become everything that God created to them to be. I love these words from Tim Keller. He says, here's what it means to fall in love. It's to look at another person and get a glimpse of the person God is creating and to say, I see what God is making in you and it excites me. I want to be part of that. I want to partner with you and God in this journey that you are taking to his throne. And when we get there, I will look at your magnificence and say, I always knew you would be like this. I got glimpses of it on earth, but now look at you. Isn't that beautiful? God created all of our relationships, particularly our intimate relationships, our romantic relationships and marriage. He created these things to help us all identify and face up to our flaws and brokenness and to help each other become more like Jesus. Our relationships and particularly our marriage relationships are the primary place within which intensely discipleship happens, becoming more like Jesus happens because you cannot hide. You cannot hide. And in that place of, of, of not being able to hide and finding a place of love and acceptance, that's when we become more like Christ. My commitment is to help my partner thrive, my partner be the best. I am here to help you. And when two people commit to that, then something incredible happens. And so as I close, for the next five weeks, this is, this is what it means. This is what we're going to look at. Next week, we're going to be looking at what it means to be truly other-centered. What does that look like for us to really invest in the other person? In week three, we're going to look at how we build deep friendships with all people, but again, particularly with our partners. Like Relationships can't survive without friendships. 
In week four, we're going to look at how we move from conflict to healing. How do we do conflict well? We'll look at the very first marital argument in Scripture. And what can we learn from it? And how do we not become a statistic but do conflict well? In week five, we're going to look at how do we have an enduring relationship that keeps going on for years and decades? How do we keep our promises knowing that there is an enemy, there is a war that's trying to take our relationship out? And finally... Uh, In week six, we'll have our good friend Pete Gilbert back and he'll talk to us about forgiveness and reconciliation and how forgiveness is the glue ultimately that makes us able to keep on keeping on. I want to say to you, like, don't miss this. Don't miss this. And even if you know people who aren't people of faith, bring them. This is going to be good stuff. And so this morning we thought about these reality checks. Um, Maybe they have provoked you. I hope they have. I hope you'll discuss them over the dinner table. I hope you've kind of caught my heart on these things. We never marry the right person and usually for the wrong reason. You are not enough for your partner and your partner will never be enough for you. But both of those points are because only ultimately God can truly satisfy us and keep us. And so we need to keep him in the center. And what that means is with God in the center, knowing that we're accepted and loved by him, with God at the center, we can embrace relationships' true purpose, which is to see other people thrive. The goal of my relationship is to see you be awesome, to give and give and serve and love and forgive. That is the goal of this relationship. God, help us. To do this well. Why don't we bow our heads? In fact, let's stand. Should we all just stand together? Should we do that? I'm really aware that this. I invite just to close your eyes just for a second, just as I speak over you in prayer. That this is touching various nerves with everyone in the room. There are some of us here today, maybe, and like just when it comes to relationships, like we're good. And that's wonderful. Keep working hard. There are some of us here who are single, and we've been single a long time. We've never been in a relationship, and it seems distant from us. And and I just pray for, for God to meet you in a place of peace and comfort and hope today. There are, there are some of you here, and, and you're like me, like your partner left you years ago, and you're divorced, and, you're, and when you've ticked that box, that status box has caused pain. And I'm praying for God's healing for you today. My own testimony is God rewrites the story. There are maybe there are some of us here who have lost a loved one, someone that we deeply love. And we're just feeling the pain of that loss in this moment. And, and whether even in this moment you're feeling like, oh, I was the guilty party, I messed up. I just want you to know there is forgiveness and grace from a God who rewrites the story. And so just for a moment in the quietness, why don't you, why don't you just have a moment in your own head of, God, this is my relationship junk. These are the things that that I need to get free from. Thank you, Father.
All of us are broken except for Jesus. And so maybe just for a moment, as we often do in this church, we hold out our hands before us. And when we do this, this is a way we're saying to God, God, I surrender. I surrender my fears and my disappointments and my hurts and my wounds. I surrender them to you. I I surrender where I have failed my partner. And I receive forgiveness and peace and a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit to do this differently. Lord, as we stand before you now, I pray in Jesus' name that your forgiveness would wash over us. We thank you, Lord, here that you've, you're meeting with us here not to condemn us, but to bring us life. Lord, for those of us who are with partners today, we, we want to thank you for those partnerships. For those that are doing well, we just pray they'll do even better. Lord, for for marriages and relationships that are struggling today, we pray that new life would come. And for those, Lord, that maybe it feels that they're on life support machine and maybe it's been turned off, we pray for great wisdom. There's no condemnation with you today, Lord. And so we receive your forgiveness. We receive your power to be different. Help us all in all of our relationships to be committed, to focus on other people thriving and doing well. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father God. Lord Jesus.